This is the Beyond Mission podcast with Ben Greenbaum and Mark Elsesser. This year we're exploring the book of Acts and the rest of the New Testament in what we're calling a chronogeobiological flow. That is, we are following the chronology of the book of Acts, then veering off to the geography or the biography or the theology of the things that are addressed in the book of Acts by looking at some of the other letters that accompany that. But today we're staying with the book of Acts a little bit longer as Paul has made his way to Jerusalem for his final trip, and he's in trouble. He's, he's in a lot of trouble with the Jewish people there, and things are going to heat up even more in this story today as we look at this plot that's going on to kill him. His task is, is big, and it's a, it's a hard thing to follow. I know that like for us here in this, in this world right now, we're uh, it's Labor Day time, and it's a a day when we call it Labor Day, which means we don't work, or at least mo- a lot of people don't work, unless you work in a restaurant or a store or movie theater or, or whatever. And it's a it's a good time to take a break and to recognize. Also, it's the end of summer. It's a it's kind of the official marker, isn't it? Like it's over. Now, when when was the end of summer in New Orleans when you were growing up was it like January <laughs> how did that <laughs> how did that work yeah as I as I often say we only have two seasons uh in South Louisiana we have summer and we have football and uh and so that that was pretty much summer for us and by when, football you mean SEC not NFL right no I mean we we all love our Saints oh, yeah. uh, quite quite a bit but yeah SEC football um and our uh our saints, our beloved saints. So yeah, I mean, for us, probably the the end of summer, though it was still uh, incredibly hot, was the beginning of football season. It at least took our minds off the off the heat or the start of school. You know, obviously, the start of school seemed to be the the end of of summer itself. So but, it wasn't uh, gauged by temperature as much as by events or the calendar. <laughs> no, because you could. I mean, you could have an eighty degree day, you know, in December or January or something like that. And so, well, you know, you get milder temperatures, obviously, uh, during, uh, the, the so-called winter months. Um, and you, you get every once in a while, you get a cold snap where oddly enough, I I can remember it being, you know, 14 degrees one day and the next day being 65. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I do, I do miss that piece of it. I could live with that kind of winter. I'm going to tell you that, you know, if, if you have one day of cold, and the rest of it's mild. That, I hear you. That's doable. I hear you. And I, I mean, honestly, I take the year-round heat over having, having the yeah, winter months. Though, though I do love my hoodies. I do like wearing a, a nice hoodie. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, I could take the. In fact, somebody, yeah, somebody made a comment to me this morning about a week we just had recently here, uh, near the end of August, where it was in the nineties. And it's like, oh, we had, you know, we had, it was, it must have felt like home. I'm like, it's about time. Because, I mean, <laughs> August was oddly a mild, a mild month for us. So. Well, welcome to Labor Day week. And nonetheless, the end of summer, the beginning of the fall season. And, and football. And, and football. And, and football. So let's not forget that. And welcome to Big Ten Country, brother. We're, we're glad you're here. Big Ten, Big Ten country expands from coast to coast now. Yeah, it's going to be Big Twenty pretty soon, isn't it? It's crazy. I don't, I don't know. I can't even keep track. Nonetheless, we we have really digressed far away from Jerusalem, where Paul's in hot hot water, 
the last thing we remember from our last podcast is that Jewish people had gathered around and they said, get rid of this guy. We don't want him around us at all. Get rid of him. And so in Acts chapter 21, as it, as it wraps up, he asks for permission to speak to the crowd, and he does so in Acts chapter 22. He begins to speak to them, and he shares his testimony, which we've been through a couple of times, so I don't think we're going to go through that today, but he, he shares what God's done in his life and how God's used him. And in, in verse 21, he makes a statement. He says, the Lord said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Now, to the Jewish listeners, this wasn't exactly something that appeased them because they divided the world into two categories, Jews and non-Jews, that is Jews and Gentiles. And the Jews were God's people and the Gentiles were not God's people. And so when Paul's wrapping up his defense of himself and says, your God and my God sent me to the non-Jewish people, this didn't make them happy. So in, in 22, verse 22, the crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Then they raised their voices and shouted, rid the earth of him. He's not fit to live. What is it about that statement that, that God has sent me to go to the Gentiles that made them want to kill him? I mean, I can say like, oh, yeah, I don't think I'm really called to mission work in this or that country. That's kind of how I think. But for somebody to say it and to think the earth should be rid of you and, and you're not fit to live because you have this belief. Take us into the context of that a little bit, why that was such a, a hard word for the Jewish people in Jerusalem in that day to hear. Yeah, a big a big piece of it is the overall message of the gospel that in Christ there's neither Jew nor Gentile, but ultimately we are one uh, through Christ. And so Paul's persistent proclamation that, in essence, that that God loves the Gentiles just as much as He loves uh, the people of Israel um, would have been a major offense uh to them the the idea that they were on uh equal footing uh with one another that Jew and Gentile would be on equal footing uh with one another would have been an offense to them um based upon the law uh, just contact with a Gentile would have made uh, a Jewish person ritually unclean and and now Paul is is you know going around declaring that the the one he proclaims to be the Jewish Messiah has come for both Jew and Gentile, and they're both in equal need of this Messiah. It seems so narrow-minded for our world today, but I do wonder sometimes if we think there are certain categories of people who are not worthy of the gospel or not worthy of being in my church or in my small group or whatever, however we would define that, like I would definitely not want that. I mean, we, we might not want to kill the person who would like to share the faith with them or invite them into our living room, but there might, I just, I just don't know if there's a parallel for us in our world today. Do you have yeah, a thought I mean, on that? I mean, obviously nobody's going to try to 
to, to kill anybody over this, but I mean, you, you see it in church context all the time where, you know, you, you can have a small group or a, a group of people that participate in a particular ministry together, and it can become really cliquish to where they're not necessarily all that invitational or warm in, in embracing others outside of their group of friends. And a lot of times it's not even necessarily intentional by any means. I think there's a lot of, un, I, I think it's unintentional, but I would hope at least it's unintentional, but you know, you, you can get so comfortable with a group of people, uh, or there's a group who you, you naturally gravitate, uh, toward, and it can, it can create, uh, it can create this kind of narrow minded or this narrow focus. And you don't see the other people around you that are just as much in need of relationship, that are just as much in need of Christ as you are. Yeah, that's, that's a really good way to put it. As we, as we think about what the gospel is intended for, it's for everyone, even people that I don't necessarily associate with or relate to or have an affinity with in life. And it, it's a reminder that it, it's for everyone. Well, so these people wanted to, they didn't see it like that. They wanted to rid the earth of him. And it picks up then, and in verse 23, we're in chapter 22 of Acts, verse 23, as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust in the air, all symbolic language, this guy needs to die. The commander, that's the the Roman commander, ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. He directed that Paul be flogged as whips to rip open his flesh on his back and interrogated in order to find out why the people were shouting at him. And we looked at this a little bit last time. And this, this, these, uh, the, the, the Roman system of interrogation is different than the, the American system, I, I, I would think. I don't know that anybody's reading any, any Miranda rights to the, <laughs> in this situation. I mean, they're going to just like rip his clothes off his back and whip him to within an inch of his life and ask him questions to find out why the other people are yelling at him. That's a that's a brutal system. Yeah, it is, and it, and again, as as we've discussed, you know, I mean, so much of it was uh, because of the way the 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 Roman go- the Roman local government there had aligned itself with the the Jewish religious leaders uh, to where they're just kind of functioning in concert uh, with one another. So as Paul's being beaten, they're just kind of like, well, they they must have a good reason for it, and uh, so let's you know. Let's arrest them. Let's get them out of harm's way so we can go and officially harm them. <laughs> it seems weird. Okay, now this, this next verse, is, everything turns on this in my mind, in, in Paul's life, on this next verse. It's Acts chapter 22, verse 25. As they stretched him out to flog him, Paul said to the centurion standing there, is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty? On that question, everything turns in Paul's life from this point forward. They didn't know he was a Roman citizen. They figured he was just a, a Jew that the other Jews didn't like, and so they were going to whoop up on him. But he's now claiming Roman citizenship, which he was a Roman citizen. And in that case, there were, there were Roman laws. You couldn't just flog somebody. You had to actually go through the the court system, you find the guy guilty, and then you could do it. 
And also from this point forward, it would change the trajectory of where he would end up. So wh- why was this question such a pivotal question for, for Paul to, to make? And why do you think he waited till here or did it at this point in time? And what was the effect of it? I mean, like of him making this, putting this out there to the Roman commander right now in this spot. Yeah, I don't know why he waited uh, as long as he did. Because um, he got beat up pretty good before. Yeah, he did. He did, and maybe he thinks, you know, death is around the corner at this point. I, I might as well, like, throw out the trump card here. Or do you think he just really wanted to get to Rome and wanted to live for that? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a possibility uh, of that. Um you know, we we know that Paul had had wanted to to go to Rome. This was going to be the means by which he he ultimately uh, got there. But yeah, he kind of lays down the ultimate trump card because as a Roman citizen, he had the rights given to a Roman citizen, and so they couldn't just do whatever they wanted to him. In fact, it it almost sends them into a panic that they're doing this to a Roman citizen. It does throw this guy into a panic. He doesn't know what to do about it. And the, the dialogue back and forth is is pretty crazy between them. In verse 27, the commander said, Tell me, you are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I am, Paul answered. Then the commander said, I had to pay a lot of money for my citizenship. And Paul said, But I was born a Roman citizen. There's the ultimate trump card right there. He, so he was born a Jewish person, he was he became a, a Pharisee in the in the Jewish religious hierarchy. He was well trained among Jewish scholars, but he was also a Roman citizen. So he had a which helped him in all of his mm-hmm. access through all of his missionary journeys and, and so so much uh, helped along the way. And it made this guy back off. It, he, he stopped. I mean, he realized he was not allowed. It says, verse 29, those who were about to interrogate him, that is, flog him, withdrew immediately. The commander himself was alarmed when he realized that he put Paul, a Roman citizen, in chains. Even the the arrest of him, without knowing it, was now, this guy was probably scared for his own life. Right. Because he'd broken Roman law. It's fine to treat the the non-Romans like that, but treat the Romans like that, he might have been in some hot water. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And to your point, I mean, when we think about Paul as uh, the apostle ultimately to the to the Gentiles, his Roman citizenship aided him tremendously in that in that endeavor. You know, you, you think about the fact that if Paul wasn't a, a Roman citizen, um, you know, the the vast majority of the epistles are written from a Roman jail cell, which he would not have made it to that Roman jail cell, which at, at, at that point during that first Roman imprisonment, he was just, he was in essence under house arrest. Um, all the epistles that we have, we wouldn't have cause they would have just killed him here and there, you know, while he's in Jerusalem, most likely he wasn't making it out alive. Yeah, that's exactly right. So this, this commander recognizes it and it picks up in verse 30 the commander wanted to find out exactly why Paul was being accused by the Jews. This guy, all he wanted was peace. <laughs> he just wanted right, the thing right. to go away. So the next day, the commander released Paul and ordered the chief priests and all the members of the Sanhedrin to assemble. 
Then he brought Paul and had him stand before them. So here we go. It's back to the Sanhedrin, the the very group of people who had tried Jesus and found him to be guilty of things he didn't do wrong and sent him on to the Roman government to be executed were the same people who now were going to be quizzing Paul. So the story picks up in Acts chapter 23, verse 1. Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, My brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. At this, the high priest Ananias ordered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. So the Romans couldn't do it now, but the Jewish authorities could. They smacked him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. You know, I mean, if I'm... (laughs) If I'm getting smacked around, I don't know if I'm going to be talking smack to the, <laughs> the, the people who are doing it. Again, Paul just doesn't seem to live in a place of fear uh, at all. And he, he says later you know, I, that he didn't intend to insult the high priest because he, he didn't even know he was the high priest as the story continues on there. But what he did know was that the Sanhedrin was made up of a mixture of Sadducees and Pharisees, and that the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection, didn't really believe in life after death, but the Pharisees did. And so he, Paul plays that card, and we're in down in verse 6, where he says, My brothers, I am a Pharisee, descended from Pharisees. I stand on trial because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. Mic drop, just goes silent there. And he knows that this is going to stir them up. And so these dudes start yelling at each other. The, San, the Sanhedrin just comes unglued because, because he's talking about the resurrection, which the Pharisees believed in and the Sadducees did not believe in. And so they forgot they were mad at Paul and they started getting mad at each other. It's kind of a brilliant strategic move. Hey, <laughs> hey look, look in the, the margin of my Bible here, yeah. it says genius. <laughs> it was just a genius, <laughs> genius. Uh, move because, yeah, he sets them against one another. And then, uh, and then he gets the Pharisees all on his side. Yeah, it's way to go. Right? <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Really, like, like, way to go. But it doesn't end up all good, does it? No. Down in verse 12. The next morning, some Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. They wanted him dead that day, by that night. More than 40 men were involved in the plot. Then they went to the chief priests and the elders. Chief priests would have been Sadducees almost always. So they went to the people who would have been on that side. And they said, we have taken a solemn oath not to eat anything until we have killed Paul. Now then, you and the Sanhedrin petition the commander to bring him before you on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about this case. We are ready to kill him before he gets there. They're going to lay in wait. I, I don't know if they had read about Julius Caesar, but it's what it sure looks like. Like they're, they're going to, on his way in, they're going to kill him. They're going to kill him right under the nose of the commander 
and the, the guards and the soldiers, that's how much they hated him. They were risking their own lives by doing this under Roman guard. I mean, that's some pure hatred that they have for him, yeah? Yeah, yeah, they did not like Paul. But, but, uh, his, but Paul's nephew saves the day. It says in verse 16, when the son of Paul's sister heard of this plot, he went into the barracks and he told Paul and told him, told him all about the plot and, and what was going to happen. And so they end up telling the, the commander and everybody's figuring out what is going on. Um, and finally, the, the commander down in verse 22 dismissed the young man with this warning, don't tell anyone that you've reported this to me. So the commander kind of steps in and doesn't want Paul put to death by the Jews under his watch because they're going to just be waiting in ambush. He doesn't want this to take place. So it's a, it's an interesting, it's a, why, why is the story included? Like, what would you guess? Like, why did, why did Luke write this one down? This near death or this plot, this experience that was going on that ended up being much ado about nothing because a Roman commander saves the day. I mean, do you think you sense like it's here because the not not the Jewish religious authorities, but the Roman pagan authorities are the one that saved the day? Is that why the story's here? Or is it the hand of God was on Paul and God wanted to make sure that Paul got back to Caesarea and eventually back to on to Rome for the first time? So the gospel could spread or like, like what's your sense for this story? And as it's flowing in and out of here, as he's gone into Jerusalem, they want to kill him, but they weren't given the authority to do that. Unlike with Jesus, where they had great influence in this case, they were stripped of their authority and, and the, the Sanhedrin didn't have the, the power to put Paul to death. So, any, any take on all those kind of things I've just kind of thrown out there? I think a couple of things is that it, it makes sense of how Paul ultimately gets to Rome, you know, while also in, including, uh, obviously, all that he suffered uh, in Jerusalem. Um, and then the other part, too, is it, it makes sense of how Paul is ultimately able to to bear witness before, you know, Festus and Agrippa. Um, and 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 so like who are who are roman authorities in their in their own right and so it makes sense of the rest of acts as paul heads uh to rome yeah it does it makes a lot of sense it, and it's a reminder that god will do whatever he wants to do in order to have his gospel move forward and he in this case he wasn't done with paul there was much more that was going to come including when he even got under arrest in Rome, a number of the epistles that are in the Bible, the letters in the Bible were written after this fact, when he was under arrest, like there's a lot more to happen in Paul's life. And so just the story of God redeeming him, even though Paul ends up being executed in Rome, there was still more to his story and God wasn't done with him yet. That's a, I think it's just a great reminder for all of us that we're really living our lives under the authority of the Lord at all, at all times and in all places. And we need to 
remember that and be grateful when he moves us through these times of challenge and difficulty in our lives. Wrap, wrap this thing, this story up for us uh, today, if you would. Give us some, give us your overview of where we are in Paul's journey. Yeah, well, as you as you shared, you know, in some ways, he's already been on three missionary journeys. He's, you know, getting ready to head to Rome, and there's still so much left of of his ministry, and and ultimately, uh, the impact he's had on the the church for the last 2000 years, uh, through, uh, many of his epistles, um, you know, those have, have yet to been yet to have been written at this point in Paul's life. So there's so much more ministry, uh, that's left, um, for, for God to accomplish uh, through Paul. And, and to that end, as we see Paul suffer, as we see the hand of persecution upon him, it is. It's a reminder to us of, of God's sovereign hand on us, you know, that we can ultimately rest in him, um, knowing that, that he cares about us. He cares about us intimately. And, uh, we are, we are never out of, uh, of his view. And, uh, and so again, you know, Paul continues. It's it's not like this is the end of his suffering. I mean, he can, he continues to endure a great deal of persecution. Uh, his second Roman imprisonment is a whole lot. Th- this is coming up on his first Roman imprisonment. We haven't even hit the second Roman imprisonment yet. So this is again just getting beginning in ministry. But as God protects him from this moment of of death, ultimately, as you said, Paul is martyred. And yet, through it all, Paul just continues to uh, persist uh, for Christ. Well, this is going to take him back to Caesarea. So he'd been in the coastal city, went into Jerusalem. Now he's going to be going back to Caesarea under the governor whose name is Felix. And we'll take a look at that next time. Folks, if you want to really dig in deeper to this year-long study that we're doing. There are daily Bible readings along with devotions and poems that correlate with those Bible readings. We have a sermon or one of these podcasts. We encourage you to to go to our website, fishersumc.org, or find the church app and click on the Be On Mission link. If you want to stay up to date with the Be On Mission podcast, we encourage you to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcast, and we'll see you next time. God bless.